Let's read some scripture. We're going to look at a part of what we read now, but just to get more of the context, we're reading Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Please follow in your Bible or on the screen. This is God's word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. So last week, go back to the first slide, please slide me. Last week we looked at verse 25, therefore having put away falsehood. We talked about lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. We talked about telling lies and telling the truth. And there's a little more that I want to add here about that. And then having done so, then we're going to move on to the next verse, which you can see is about anger, about human anger. Be angry and don't sin. And here's how to do it. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So today we're finishing up lying and we're moving into to anger. And so here it's obvious the, the Apostle Paul has, if you want to put it this way, he has left teaching and he's begun preaching. He's working for life change now. He's applying the word of God to the hearts and lives of God's people so that we would submit ourselves to it, so that the Holy Spirit would renew us in the inner man and we'd be more like Christ and be more pleasing to Christ. So it's interesting to see what he chooses first. When he, this is where he really gets to the very practical, specific part of his, his letter to us. The first thing he addresses the people of God about in Ephesians when he gets to this practical part is, falsehood, and truth. And then the second thing he addresses is anger, and he doesn't mention its opposite, but we would mention it, um, maybe a spirit of calm or the ability to calm ourselves and others in the room. So we're not quite finished with putting away falsehood, and the thing we're going to add to it now today is, is a kind of falsehood. It's a kind of lying. It's a subcategory of lying, and it's called slander. It does appear, it's actually named later, we read it in the passage, that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. And so I debated, do I cover it then or do I cover it? I'm going to cover it now because it really is a subcategory of, of lying. Slander is a special form, a, a kind of a form of lying. So we're going to talk about slander. You all ready to hear about slander? Why are we talking about this? Because humans do it. Because we need to hear about it. So what is slander? Here's a definition. I didn't write this. Slander is the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to another person's reputation. So that's what slander is. You say something about them or you write or you communicate something about them. It's false. 
and it does damage to their reputation. There's actually a legal component to this. I'm sure you'll know that, but I looked it up to see just exactly what is it. And here's what it is. Legally, there are these four things have to be in place before you can like accuse somebody and they could be found guilty and liable of slander. One, there has to be a, a false statement that you've made purporting to be fact. Two, you have to publicly communicate that somehow to a third person or persons. Three, there is fault. You are at fault for doing so, amounting to at least negligent. You should have worked harder to study, find out what are the facts before you stated these things about them. And finally, fourth, there are damages. So in court, they have to be able to prove there are damages or some harm caused to the reputation of the person who is the subject. So this was in the news recently. I don't pay any attention to the news, but what appears in my Twitter feed, some people inform me of the really big things in news because they appear in my Twitter feed, and you probably all saw this or somehow or other you came across this. But recently, who was the big, who was the big case? Yeah, it was Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, who were married, I think, for just months, and uh, he accused her of defamation. There was a trial. She had written and published some essay accusing him of certain things. He claimed that it damaged his reputation such that he couldn't get work. Now, when a Johnny Depp can't get work, that's a lot of money involved. There are definitely some damages there. So he sued her for 50 million, 50 million in damages, and he won. He didn't win all 50 million, but the jury awarded him 10 million in compensatory damages and 5 million in punitive damages in this defamation suit. And what was all that brouhaha about? It was about slander. So you see, slander is an important thing, so important that even still, even still in these United States, if somebody slanders somebody else and there are damages, it can go to court and a whole lot of money might change hands. So no surprise then that slander is in God's word, that God speaks to us about slander and he seeks to uh, restrict us from slandering. So here's what I want to show you next. So we're on this thing of slander, a subcategory of lying, because when you slander, you're, you're, you're you're at least negligent. You should have done more work to know that the things you're saying are false. So when you say something false and it damages someone else's reputation, you're lying. This is in the Bible many times. There's, there are many, many, many verses indicating that this is not some little branch out on a branch out on a branch out on a branch of God's word. This is something very important in the will of God because People do this a lot, and we damage other people. So what I'm going to do for a little while here is share with you some of the, I think, the key, the best, the clearest passages, most of them are in the Old Testament, about this sin of slander, and talk about it some as we go. So first we're going to Psalm 101 and verse 5. Psalm 101, verse 5. It'll go up on the screen for you, and here it is. Whoever, so that's you if it's you, and that's me if it's me, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor. So now you're doing it in secret. You're not like Amber Hurt and you publish a thing about Johnny Depp. No, you do it in, even if you do it in secret. So I just get with you and I say, psst, 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 pointing. They did, they said this, they did the other. Now I'm secretly slandering. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor. And by the way, if, if, scripture also regulates this. If you're the neighbor you're on the receiving end of the, pss, 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 of the secret slander. You're not supposed to give it any attention. Here's a great verse for that. We're not going to put it up. We're not really going to look at this. But if you're on the receiving end, Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a gossip are like tasty morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So when somebody slanders, it's like they're giving you a donut. It's a tasty morsel. 
they're giving you a cream-filled, chocolate-covered donut, which you happen to love. I love the, if, I, if I'm going to get a donut, that's the one I'm going to get. And you say, mmm, they start going, pss, pss, and you go, ooh, tasty. Do tell. So you're not supposed to do that either. But whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him, now these are strong words, God says, I will destroy. Whoa, I will destroy. This must be a serious thing then. God sounds like he's in earnest. Him who, him who does this, I will destroy. Slander is a serious sin because it hurts people. It damages people. And so please note, as, as followers of the Lamb, as the people of God, we want to be very careful with what we allow to come out of our mouth. We also want to be very careful, as we saw last time, about what's in our heart. Do you slander somebody in your heart, even if you never speak it? That's a heart sin. Do you slander somebody in your mind, and you're saying to yourself, well, they're just this, and they're just that, and it might not be true. You're slandering them to yourself, and if you've done it in your mind, you've done it already in your mind and in your heart. So we want to work very hard with ourselves to recognize it and to stop it and to crucify it and to submit it to the Lamb and ask him to change us. Because God says it's serious, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. So there's Psalm 101, verse 5. Let's go to the Proverbs, Proverbs 10 and verse 18. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. So either you're the one who initiated it and you're spreading it, or you're one of those who heard it, and like a tasty morsel, you said, ooh, tell me more, and it went down into the innermost parts of your body, and now you can't hold it in, and you want to share it with other people. You know, he told me this about him. She told me that about her. And now you're one of those who is sharing slander. Whoever spreads slander, well, God says it, I didn't say it, is a fool. You're just playing a fool for doing that. You want to be a fool? Spread slander. You don't want to be a fool? Don't spread slander. Don't even receive it in the first place. And if you're the initiator of it, zip your lips, man. Don't spread it. The word spread's funny. It just reminds me of a farm. I was a kid raised in the country. I always loved farm tractors and things going up and down my road. And they had this thing called a spreader, right? It was a manure spreader. They always stank and had flies all over them, but it was a spreader. And you take that thing out in the field, man, you can spread some manure. Well, you can also spread some slander, which is pretty much manure anyway, right? It's verbal manure. So don't be the spreader of verbal manure. Don't be the one who goes out and slanders and spreads the slander that you heard. All right, here's another one, 2 Timothy 3.3. 3. This, this is in a passage of a whole bunch of sins that Paul lists, which are characteristic of people in these last days. The time period between the first coming and the second coming, that's all the last days. And here in these last days, here's what people will be like. 2 Timothy 3.3. 3. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Right in the middle of that, slanderers. What will people be like in these latter times between the first coming and the second coming? Well, there's going to be lots of people who are slanderers. I don't know. Am I right if I say this? I don't want to be slandering. I want to say most, I'll notch it down one. A whole lot of people who are in the news seem to be slanderers. Would you agree? I'm not just slandering them. It just seems like, like they make money, so they take delight in. Ratings go up if they slam somebody, and they seem to take a lot of pleasure in doing that. 
Paul says that's one of the sins characteristic of people in these last times, slanderers. And then two verses that specify that women must not slander. Why are women singled out and men aren't? I don't know why. Maybe because women are the more verbal of the two. Maybe because women are the more loquacious, and the Bible says in many words there lacks, there's not, there will lack, there will not lack transgression. So the more you talk, the more likely something bad's going to come out. If you're a really quiet guy, you're probably not slandering much. If you're a really talkative woman, you have more opportunity. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Don't get me in trouble. I'm trying to tiptoe through this. But here it is. Two verses for, for the sisters, 1 Timothy 3.11. He's talking about uh, deacons and elders and then their wives. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers. Second thing about them. Isn't that interesting? Second thing. They must be reverent and they must not be slanderers. So you want to appoint a guy as a deacon, his wife can't be a slanderer. You want to appoint a guy as an elder, his wife can't be a slanderer. Wouldn't be good. Doesn't work. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So that, there's one for the, the ladies. Here's another one in uh, one of the other pastoral epistles, Titus 2.3. And Paul's saying the older men ought to be this and the younger men ought to be that. And the older women ought to be this and the younger women ought to be that. And here in the older women part, he says, Titus 2.3, the older women, likewise, that they be, and again, the first thing here is reverent in behavior, and again, the second thing here is not slanderers. So twice Paul does that, 2 Timothy 3.3, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 3.11, and Titus 2.3, first thing to the women, reverent in behavior, second thing to the women, singled out, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So rather than slander, with your mouth. What's the put on? What's the opposite? You're teaching good things. That's what you're using your vocal apparatus for. That's what's coming out of your mouth for other people. You're teaching them good. Specifically, the older women are going to go on. It's going to go on and say, teaching the younger women to love their husbands, etc., etc. So you get it. Um, if you say things with a bad intention, or not even, if you say things with a good intention, but you're wrong, you didn't do your homework, there's negligence, and you damage the reputation of somebody else, more than a few times in God's word, he speaks very strongly about that, and he forbids it, he prohibits it. Thank God the blood of Christ forgives sinners, huh? Thank, thank God that there's grace, or who of us would stand? Who in this room is one who wants to stand up and just tell us, go right ahead, I'll yield the floor. Go up and stand up and tell us, I've never slandered anyone. I've never spoken ill of another in a way that shouldn't have been done. No, never. No, we're all guilty of this sin. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But now as the redeemed people of God, we want to live in a way that is holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And so we want to rein in our tongues. We don't want to slander people. Now, you might wonder, why is it such a bad thing? Why is it in our American legal system and lots of other systems? Why is it in God's word many, many times, many more than we just looked at? But there's a good answer to that. Here's why slander is so bad. It is because it is a crime that actually damages other people. Just as much as if you, let's say you took a baseball bat and whacked somebody's kneecap. And you damaged, you seriously damaged their kneecap. They're damaged. They can't walk. 
They've got to get a surgery. They've got to get crutches and whatever and whatever. You've damaged them. In the same way, when you slander somebody, you are damaging them. Well, what am I damaging? You're damaging their reputation. Their reputation is very important in all their relationships because relationships are built upon trust. And if your reputation gets damaged, trust is gone, and it damages all of your relationships and all the people that you want and need to trust you. This could even affect your career. It would certainly affect my career. In my career, if your reputation is damaged, you're done. It's over. Go get another job. Go do something else. So this is why it's so important. And we see this also in the Proverbs that this is why slander is so bad. The verse hints at that. It's Proverbs 22.1. Look at it with me, please. Proverbs 22.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. All right, so here's two options. Over here is a big treasure chest. I mean big. Let's make it the size of a dumpster. It's full of jewels and precious things. You get the idea. And then over here is a good name. And the author is saying, you look at those two options, and the one you would want to choose is the good name. Because, again, it is to be chosen rather than great riches. It's really, really valuable. It's really, really worth a lot. Worth a lot. Like, I can do with or without the diamonds and rubies. I can do without the gold and silver. But I can't do very well without a reputation. I can't do very well without a good name. I need a good name with my wife. I need a good name with my church. I need a good name with my kids. I need a good name with the people I work with. I need a good name with my mechanic, and he needs a good name with me. I need a good name with a lot of people. And so it's going to make your life better to have a good name than it would make your life better to have great riches. Better to have the good name, make a good choice. And that's why slander is so bad. It robs a person of something that is really valuable, that is really important, more than a whole dumpster full of riches. It, it's, it's like if you steal his car, you robbed him of something valuable, but you steal his good name, it's more valuable, so you want to be very careful. In our day, we have a lot of people calling other people racists or haters or supremacists of one kind or another. A lot of people just hurling these things at one another. They ought to stop that. Don't you get into that. Because you might just be slandering somebody and you're robbing them of their good name. So again, more on why is this matter? Why is a good name so valuable? Shakespeare chimes in at this point, and I'll put it up for you so you can follow. And he wrote this. Good name in man and woman, dear my Lord, is the immediate jewel of their souls. Who steals my purse steals trash. Tis something nothing. Twas mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. He takes your dollar bill, it was yours, now it's his, and lots of other people have had it. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. Shakespeare, steeped in his biblical worldview, tells us what the Bible is telling us, why slander is so terrible, why a good name is so valuable. So we want to be very careful. God is very concerned that we have this in us. I want to protect the good reputation of others. This is part of not lying. I want to be very careful in my heart, how I feel about them, in my thoughts, what I say about them, my words, what I allow about, out about them, so that I'm not damaging somebody else's reputation. God is very interested in this. 
Hear the words, however, of the great theologian John Calvin, 1400s. He writes, And yet it is wonderful with what thoughtless unconcern we sin in this respect time and again. Those who do not markedly suffer from this disease, slandering, are rare indeed. We delight in a certain poisoned sweetness, working from the Proverbs, I think, experienced in ferreting out and in disclosing the evils of others, end quote, John Calvin. It's true, is it not? Is it not true? That's why I don't think anybody wants to take my offer, stand up and tell us you've never slandered. Hmm. Has anybody in this room never been slandered? Yeah, there's probably no takers on that one either. So here's what you want to do. You want to be rigorous with yourself. Just like on all lying, you want to be rigorous with yourself. What do I allow myself to think about them? What do I allow myself to feel about them? What do I allow myself to say or communicate or write about them? You want to be rigorous with yourself. You want to cross-examine yourself. I'm about to say this. Wait a minute. Let me stop the words. Am I sure? Is that really true? Should I utter that? No, I shouldn't. I'll stop right there. So we need to be doing a lot of that, my brothers and sisters. We want to be very careful to protect the reputation of other people and stop the words from coming out of your mouth. Some of the Puritans even put the word slander, the, the idea of slandering, under the commandment. When they go through the Ten Commandments and they come to the one that says, thou shalt not steal, they put slander there. You're stealing their reputation. And they also put it under murder. You shall not murder. You're murdering with your words. You're killing their reputation. You're murdering them with your words. Don't steal their reputation. Don't kill them with your words. Don't murder. Don't steal. But instead, say gracious things or say nothing at all. So that's, that's another little facet of lying before we leave lying. That's about slander. It should, it should make us, let me say it again, it should make you, it should make me very, very careful very cautious about what I say about other people. If I'm saying something that, that increases your trust in them, say on. If I'm saying something that lifts them up in your esteem, say on. But if I'm about to say something that's going to knock somebody down, I probably need to just zip it, stop my mouth, and don't go there. This is the will of God for the people of God in Christ Jesus. It's the second thing, lying is, the second thing Paul deals with when he gets into the very specific practical part of his letter. All right, we're going to leave slander, and now we're going to have even more fun. You ready to be, you know, you all look kind of morbid. It's a, it's a dark, gray, rainy day, and I'm talking about slander. Now we're going to add to that. We're going to go on to the sin of anger. The sin of anger. This is going to be really interesting. I think it's very important for us. Is, is there anyone here who is immune from unrighteous anger? Is there anyone here who, who never has? Well, there, there might be. There really could be. Some people are of such a temperament and such a personality that they just don't get angry. Are there, is there anybody here who's the opposite of that? You, you really need this portion of God's word. So we're turning to anger. Let's look at the verse again, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Thank you, slide man. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So here Paul begins to deal with anger, with anger. And it, the, the verses, the two verses are fabulous. It's just stunning how to the point, how concise, how brief, how clear, how powerful they are. Be angry 
don't sin, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Now, one of the odd things about this verse is it appears to give way to some, some anger in your life. You can, it's, it appears to say, and it does in fact say, there are situations in which you might be angry and it's not sin. It could turn into sin. He's telling you how to not let it turn into sin. But, but you can have anger without sin, which is kind of big news because in most of the Bible, when anger appears, it's what? It's bad. It's sin. Probably because most human anger is sinful. At least most human anger is probably tinged with something sinful, even if you say, no, but it's righteous, I have a cause. Yeah, but there's probably something dark in you about the way you're dealing with that thing. So much of the time in the Bible, most of the time in the Bible, human anger is a bad thing. So I want to go there first, dealing with this verse. Let's, let's notice how usually in the Bible, most of the time in the Bible, human anger is a bad thing, a very bad thing. So Again, if you have some anger issues, this is going to be a convicting to you. I don't want to soften the sword of the Spirit. I, I don't want to blunt it. It probably needs to hit you with full force so you'll take it seriously. Man, God's speaking to me today. I need to work by grace, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. I need to work on my anger. I can't go on living this way. I need to crucify it. I need to mortify it. I need to pin it to the mat. Lord Jesus, change me and help me. Don't let me go on like this. And all of that, some of you might need to go there with this, and I'm not going to try and blunt it for you, but uh, here we go. Here's, here's what the Bible usually says about anger, things like this. Let's go to Proverbs 27.4. Proverbs 27.4. All right, wrath is the heavier version of, of anger. Wrath, it says, is cruel. So most of the time when you get mad at somebody, you're being cruel. What's the word cruel mean? It means you are disposed to inflict pain and suffering. That's cruel. Cruel is you're trying to hurt somebody. It's like, I want to hurt you. All right? That's cruel. Wrath is very often, human wrath is very often, it's just cruel. You have wrath to your wife, wrath to your husband, wrath to your kids, wrath to your parents. You're being cruel. And then he adds to that like it gets worse. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. Uh, other versions. Anger is New, New King James Version. Anger is a torrent. New American Standard Version. Anger is a flood. So it's a torrent, it's a flood, which you can't possibly stand up against. It's going to sweep you away. And that's why the ESV has it. It's overwhelming. You can't stand against it. It's going to get you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to wash you away. Wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming. But there's one thing even worse, not our topic for today, but who can stand before jealousy? But so here you get a sampling, we'll see a few more, of many, 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 many passages in the Bible that talk about how most human anger is sinful anger, is damaging, is evil, is to be put off, not to be justified. It's cruel, and it's overwhelming. Let's go to another one, Proverbs 15 and verse 8. Proverbs 15, 8. A hot tempered man. Is there such a thing as a hot tempered man? Well, it's right here in the Bible, so yes. Does that mean there's such a thing as a cool-tempered man? Yes. So there are people with hot tempers and cool tempers. There are people with short fuses and long fuses. And here he's speaking to those who are short-fused. It doesn't take much. You get a, a hot-tempered man. And you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, Lord, speak to me. Could that be me? 
Am I that person? Are you speaking to me right now in your word? And if he is, hearken. Give him your ear. Give him your heart. The fact that you happen to be in this assembly today, we happen to be in this verse, is not by accident. God is sovereign. We are here by his providence. We're in this verse by his providence. This may be a very important time in which he wants to begin to speak to you and to deal with you about an issue you have not been dealing with. A hot-tempered man, what do they do? Well, they stir up strife. When they go over with those people, it's going to be strife. When they get around that person, it's going to be strife. When they enter the room, it's going to be strife. They've got a big stir stick. You have some paint, you have a stir stick, put stir stick in the paint, and you go like that. They, they stir up strife. So rather than calming things in a room, rather than de-escalating things in a room, rather than keeping things cool, calm, and collected in whatever environment they step into with their wife, with their husband, they're hot-tempered. They are stirring up strife. You know, marriages can only sustain that for so long. It's sobering, isn't it? Marriages can only sustain, sustain so much strife being stirred up before really bad things start to happen. So you don't want to be that in your marriage and go to God for grace. And we'll talk later about here are some helps to deal with this. Now, here we're going to see the opposite. So you want to put off being a hot-tempered man who stirs up strife. And then here's the put on. But he who is slow to anger has this capability quiets contention. You walk into a room and there's anger and there's contention, and when you leave, everybody's calm and happy. You're in a marriage where there's anger and contention, and the way you deal with it, everybody gets calmed, it de-escalates, everybody becomes graceful, peaceful, the fruit of the Spirit begins to abound, and you have that ability to bring that into your marriage, to bring that into your workplace, to bring that in with your friends, to bring that into your church, whatever environment you're going into, he who is slow to anger, that's to be us by the grace of God. You have a long fuse. Now, just temperamentally, I'm a guy who happens to be into the big five psychometric test of human personalities. And in the big five, there, there's a certain temperament that scores high on this thing over here. And if you take the test and you score high on that, you most likely really have to work hard to deal with things like anger. And it's not fair because I happen to score zero on that end of the spectrum. I'm a guy who doesn't get angry. It would take an awful lot. I never feel that sensation unless it's like murderer, rapist, hurting girl, right? I, like, I can get angry at that. Unless it's like stuff our government is doing. I can get angry at that, all right? You were supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Thank you. That relieved some tension in the room about what did he mean by that, all right? But you want to be the put off. Here's what you want to put on. You, know, you put off hot temper that stirs up strife, and you put on slow to anger. Like, I can just take it and take it and take it, and I don't get angry. I'm talking for you now. You don't get angry. Instead, you say, hmm, how can I make the best of this? How can I make this a win-win? How can I redirect the conversation? How can we work on the problem? How can we really solve this? And you don't get mad. You get active. You get active at fixing it. So when you're done this conversation, your marriage is better your church is better. Your relationship is better. They now trust you more. They say, wow, that was impressive how you walked into this angry situation and you de-escalated it and you calmed it and you brought in sweet reason and you, and you made the relationship better. He who is slow to anger can do that. They quiet contention. Temperamentally, you might not be there. It might be a lifelong battle. You know, the Puritans who preached whole sermon series on words in the Bible 
they would preach a whole series maybe on anger. And uh, uh, they, they said that every person tends to have what they called your bosom sin. It's, the, it's in you. It's in your bosom. And you're going to fight that bosom sin your whole life. And so to some of you, it's not fair. Your bosom sin is anger. Mine isn't. It's easy. It's easy not to get angry. It's just going to happen. Some of you have to fight that. You're going to have to fight that and fight that and fight that. But, but I have other things I have to fight and you don't. So there, all right? It all comes out in the wash. So here we are, a great verse. It even tells us how to recognize the rehabilitation of an angry person. So don't be stirring up strife. Don't be, if you are, go to the Lord about that. More later on how to deal with it. Let's go on to another verse about this. Proverbs 27, 3. Proverbs 27, 3. A stone is heavy. Amen? Now, don't picture a little teeny stone in your hand. But picture, you know, a stone. You've got a stone here. It's heavy. That's like 20 pounds right there. Maybe more. A stone is heavy. And sand is weighty. Not just you know, a few grains in your hand. You were just at the beach. Sand didn't seem very heavy to me. Well, that's right. Pick up a bucket of it. All right? Pick up a five-gallon bucket of sand. It's heavy. So a stone is heavy, and, and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both. It's heavy. It, is he it has a lot of clout. It carries a lot of weight. It does a lot in relationships, and it's a lot you don't want. It's a bad lot. So again, the, the Bible's just telling you, look, you're having very, very bad effects on people and friends and family and relationships with that anger, you've got to deal with it through the grace of God. You've got to deal with it by the word of God. You've got to deal with it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't go on like that. Or again, Proverbs 14 and verse 29, and I have just a few more. Proverbs 14, 29. Here's what you want to put on. If you stay calm. See, that's where you want to get. I can stay calm. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. They can hit me with stuff. It can be flying at me. I can just stay calm and pray and think, Lord, how do I help lead this forward and make it all better? What can I say or do? If you stay calm, you know, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. You need to get good at a soft answer with maybe a smile on your face so they know you're not angry and you love them. If you stay calm, you are wise. But if you have a hot temper, you only show, all right, I didn't write this. You only show how stupid you are. That's the ESV translation. All right, I'm just reading it. That's God's word. So if it hits hard, just take it from God. I didn't, I didn't say that. Don't get mad at me. Let's go on to another. A couple more here. Proverbs 19:19. 19, 19. If someone has a hot temper, let him take the consequences. If you get him out of trouble once, you'll have to do it again. Because he's got a hot temper. It's not the situations. It's him. It's just going to come up again and again and again. So deal with it if that's you. Or Psalm 37, verses 8 and 9. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Lord, instead of getting mad about that thing, I'm just going to wait on you. It's in your hands. You're my sovereign God. You have me in this circumstance. You'll get me through this circumstance, so refrain from anger, forsake wrath. So what are we seeing? Most of the time in the Bible, when anger appears, it's, it's completely in the negative. It's don't do it. This is bad for you. Put it off. Stop being anger. It's like categorical. Anger, human anger is bad. But then we come, and let me show you our verse again. Next slide. Come to our verse, and it says, be angry and don't sin. And see, that's a curveball. 
The Bible hasn't been saying and saying and saying and saying that. It hasn't said that at all. But now all of a sudden, Paul says, let me give you a little bit step further in the revelation of the Bible about anger. It is possible for you to be angry and not sin. And when that happens, then here's a further command. When that happens, don't let the sun go down on your anger, because then it might turn into sin and give no opportunity to the devil. So we need to talk about that. So this verse seems to allow, well, in fact, does allow. It's actually an imperative. It is saying to you, be angry. There are times when you ought to be angry. When should I be angry? When God's angry. When you are angry at what God's angry at, that's righteous anger, then and only then. So God is angry at the murderer rapist. So it's all right for you to be angry at the murderer rapist. There are things about which you ought to be angry, so much so that the great Southern theologian R.L. Dabney, Robert Louis Dabney, he said once, and I don't remember where I read it, but I did read it in his writings. I know I did. I'm not making this up. He said, I don't trust a man who can't be angry. There's something wrong with you if you don't get angry at the same things that make God angry. So there is righteous anger. There is justifiable anger. There is anger that is called for. Let me prove that to you some more from a few Bible examples. I'm not putting these verses up, so just give heed, please. Was our Lord Jesus in his earthly days, was he ever angry? Did he ever show or manifest anger? He did. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Jesus looked around at them with anger. What must that have looked like? To see the Lord Jesus Christ looking at you with anger. All right, I'm going to try and look like what that might have looked like. It was something like... <laughs> and Jesus did that, and they knew. Without saying a word, they knew, ooh, he's angry. And it was righteous anger because they were being so wicked. And if, my friend, if, what am I saying? If Jesus can be righteously angry, then you can be righteously angry. Now be very, very careful because our sinful tendency is now to go and justify all our sinful human anger by saying, it's righteous. It's just that I should be so angry. Don't go there. Probably usually isn't. But if you're absolutely sure that God is angry about that thing, then yes, it's right and just for you to be angry about it as well. The Lord Jesus was angry. We see the Apostle Paul angry on a number of occasions. Here's one of my favorites at Acts 23 and verse 3. Paul is before the high priest. He's like in court. He's being interrogated. And he begins his speech by saying, I've sought to live with a clean conscience all my life. And the high priest says, I order that man slapped. And Paul snaps and says, God's going to slap you, you whitewashed wall. I like that verse. Not, it's not like it's my life verse. I don't use it on Debbie. All right, But here we see Paul manifesting a temper, manifesting manly anger. Now he walks it back later because they tell him, Paul, do, do you not know that's, that's the high priest? And he says, oh, I didn't know it was the high priest because the Bible says you shall not revile a ruler of your people. I'm sorry I said that. He walks it back because he didn't know who he was talking to. But if that hadn't been a high priest, Paul would have been like, no, my anger is just. And he would have stood with his anger. There, there is a just anger. And how do we know that best? Well, just insert all the verses in the Bible about God's holy and just wrath, of which I'll show you just one. Psalm 7 and verse 11 reads, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So a judge in court and a wicked person comes in, and is it just for the judge to be angry about what they did? Yes, it's just. 
And God is the judge of the universe, and God is angry with the wicked every day. We don't hear that verse too often, do we? Maybe we need to hear more about that. So what's the point I'm making? There is a righteous anger, and when you are angry about the same things about which God is angry, your anger is righteous, but be careful, don't abuse that. And in our sinful fallenness, we're anger to, but we're likely to. But now let's return to our verse, Ephesians 4.26b. Next slide, please. Be angry and do not sin. Okay, well, how do I, if I have righteous anger, when might it turn into sin? How do I not let it turn into sin? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't nurse it. Don't brood over it. Don't incubate it. Don't put it in your microwave of your soul and keep heating it up and heating it up and heating it up again. No, you better deal with it before bedtime. I don't think he means this in some literal sense. Like, what if I'm up at 2 a.m. and I get angry? You know, do, do, do I have to, when did the, the sun already went down? What do I do? Now he's just saying, deal with it quickly. Don't let it last long. Don't let it simmer. Why? Anger that simmers turns into what? What's the word? Bitterness. All right, a number of things. Bitterness. It turns into bitterness. Bitterness is anger that has matured. Bitterness is anger a day later, a week later, a month later. And, and what the Bible is saying is even when you have righteous anger, get rid of it by the end of that day. Don't let it become a root of bitterness in you. Don't let it begin to fester. Don't let it begin to stew. So resolve it quickly. Now, please, my brothers and sisters, please, if, if you need this, what we've been seeing today, this is your opportunity. God brought you here. Let the word of God in. Please let it take you to the cross where you're saying, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving a sinner like me. And please, now, right now in my life, will you start to deal with my anger? Will you start to change me and help me to put off and to put on? Will you renew me and refashion me in your righteousness and in your holiness? Amy, I'm sorry, I got a way to go yet. Hang in there. Thank you. I'll give you the nod. All right. But now I want to give you one very important thing in the Bible about anger that's not in our verse. It appeared a little here and there, but it's not in our verse. It's not in Ephesians 4. Paul doesn't deal with it, but we ought to deal with it. We ought to make a point out of it, and it's this. We already saw it, but let me show you Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger. That's the point I'm making now. You ought to have a long fuse. Look at Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. James 1, 19, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because God is that way, Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is slow to anger. I want to be like him. Then I need to be slow to anger. Harder for some, easier for others, necessary at all. So when, when is an angry person rehabilitated? Well, when they have this. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. Let's look at it quick. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. 
When is an angry person no longer an angry person? When they're the fruit of the Spirit. And you get around them, and that's what you get. And you have a disagreement with them, and that's what you get. You get the fruit of the Spirit, and it's helping in the situation that's in that room. Paul gives us a helpful reason why we should want all this. Ephesians 4.27, let's look at it. And give no opportunity to the devil. What does that mean? That means when you get righteously anger but let it stew, you're giving an opportunity to the devil. It also means that when you are getting unrighteously angry, you're giving opportunity to the devil. It's like you're saying, hey, devil, you want to do some damage? Doors open. Come right over here. Come into my friendship. Come into my marriage. Come into my whatever it is that you're in. You're giving an opportunity to the devil to do what he likes to do, which is to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the thief comes for. It sends an invitation to the devil to come right into your home. So don't do that. So now we'll conclude. Sorry, I should have just left you up here. I went faster than I thought. So two things in closing. Number one, thank God Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us for our anger. Amen? Thank you, Lord. There's pardon. There's forgiveness. There's remission of sins. East from west, depth of the sea. Thank the Lord. Are you an angry person? You've been guilty of this? And you've never come to Jesus Christ? Now's a good time for you. Now's an open day for you to believe on the Lord Jesus and be washed and be cleansed and be saved. That's point number one in closing. Here's point number two. Do you have an anger problem? Deal with it. Don't live that way. Oh, deal with it. Deal with it radically. You know how Jesus said radically? If it's your eye offending you, pluck it out. If it's your hand offending you, cut it off. Radical, deal, deal radically with anger. How do you do that? Here's what I would do, and there's maybe more, but I'd at least do this. I'd be memorizing scripture and memorizing scripture and memorizing scripture and meditate on scripture. I'd start every day off looking at my scriptures, rehearsing them in my soul, praying them in, asking God to refashion me according to that. I'd wage war. Anger is a big enemy. You don't want to wage a small war. It's not going to go away. You want to wage a big war with the word of God. Take up the weapons of the warfare. And I'd be praying and praying and praying every day when I'm meditating on my scriptures because the scriptures are powerful. It's the word of God. It'll change you. And I'd be praying, oh, Lord, put off my anger. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. I'd memorize the fruit of the Spirit. I'd be, and I have, and I'd be meditating and meditating. And I'd make it a focus every day. Fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. Lord, make me that. And then I'd practice it hard, and I'd work on it. And I'd tell the people that I've been angry with, I'm so sorry I've been angry with you. I'm working on it. Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me in the things of the Lord? Would you be patient with me? Because I'm not going to have it all pinned to the mat in three minutes here. But declare war. Put it off. Put on the, the fruit of the Spirit and be gentle and patient and kind. It will bring blessing into your soul and into the lives of all those who are around you. May the Word of God have its intended effect. Next week, we're going to look at verse 28, thieving.